0: What comes to your mind? Is it something quite pleasant that comes to mind when you see a, a yoke, or does it generally have a negative connotation? I'd say more often than not, it would have a negative con- connotation, wouldn't it? The idea of a yoke is not a very positive image. In fact, if you look at the definition in Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, one of the definitions is that it is a bar or frame that is attached to the heads or necks of two work animals, such as oxen, so that they can pull a plow or a heavy load. Second definition is something that causes people to be treated cruelly and unfairly, especially by taking away their freedom. Now God's law, the law of Moses, didn't treat people unfairly. It was not cruel. It, um, it served its purpose, but it was a law that could not be kept perfectly, and therefore it was a yoke of bondage in the sense that there was no absolute forgiveness of sins available, and therefore it helped people or should have helped the Jews to look for that better covenant. But it was described, the law of Moses, as a yoke of bondage. Listen to Paul's words in Galatians 5, verse 1. Stand therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. That yoke of bondage to which Paul refers is clearly the law of Moses. And yet it was God's law. God gave it for a specific purpose, for a specific time. And it was to point out the exceeding sinfulness of sin and to demonstrate that there was no absolute forgiveness from that sin under that law except as it pointed, those who were faithful to that law, pointed to the ultimate shedding of the blood of Christ and the ushering in of the perfect law of liberty, the New Testament. But again, the New Testament is nonetheless a law. But it is a law of liberty, that is liberty or freedom from the guilt of of sin that was remembered year after year at that day of atonement that occurred annually as those uh, sins were not completely forgotten. Uh, it was a, a relief from the burden that was created by a law that was never what God intended to be his ultimate covenant. But now, now we are in that new covenant. We are subject to that better law. And there is no longer a yoke of any kind. Is that true? No. That's not true. You see, there is the yoke of Christ. And while there are a great many people who do not seem to understand nor fully appreciate the fact that there is still a yoke, But thankfully not a yoke of bondage, but a yoke nonetheless to which we must submit and understand and appreciate fully if we are to ultimately and eternally be saved in heaven. The yoke is mentioned in a part of the greatest invitation ever extended to mankind. When Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, from the New King James translation. The greatest invitation ever extended, but was it an invitation to lawlessness? An invitation to freedom that allows us to do whatever pleases us, and knowing that as we do, that will please God. We talked to some extent about this in our Bible class in the auditorium here this morning. That grace does not allow us to do anything and everything that pleases us with the full assurance that that will indeed please God. That is not the grace about which we have just sung in that beautiful hymn, His grace reaches me. Yes, His grace reaches me. But how did his grace reach me? Listen to Titus 2, 11 beginning. For the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. The grace of God brought with it a yoke. That's right. The grace of God has revealed that there is a yoke that we must submit to if indeed we have any hope of being in eternity in heaven. What are the characteristics of that yoke? Jesus describes it in summary fashion saying my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Would that indicate then that the yoke being easy means that there are There is no confinement involved in this yoke? No. That's the first characteristic at which we look today. The yoke of Christ is a yoke of confinement. Any yoke confines, doesn't it? You see the the graphic of this yoke, and you obviously understand that if there are two animals in that yoke, they are confined. They're confined. Jesus did not say I have no yoke, but my yoke is easy, and it does involve confinement as does any yoke. Matthew 7:13 and 14 makes that abundantly clear. Where Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by, it, because Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. That indicates confinement. In other words, you cannot simply choose to follow the broad way, the easy way, the way that involves no yoke of bondage, no yoke of any kind, no yoke of commitment, no yoke of confinement. You cannot do that and expect to ultimately be saved. Jesus says you must enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. And follow the way that, yes, at times is difficult. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 14, one of my favorite passages. And it is a passage that is completely relevant to this point about confinement. Listen to what Paul writes there. For the love of Christ compels us, as the New King James renders it. The King James says constraineth us. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now that word constraineth, as the the King James renders it, compels, as as the New King James renders it, means this. It is the idea of confinement. It is the idea of being surrounded. It is the idea in the original of being of being hemmed in. Being hemmed in. That's confinement. But think about what Paul says it is that has him surrounded. What is it that Paul says has me confined? What is it that has me constrained? It is the love of Christ. And what is it about that love? that brings about that confinement, that willing confinement on my part. It is the ability to judge thus. In other words, to think this. What? That if one died for all, all of us were able to die with him. That's the idea there in the verse. That he died in our stead. We didn't have to die because He died in our stead. Not just for us, but instead of us. Instead of us. Now when I come to that full realization of the kind of love that prompted the sinless Son of God to undergo the kind of suffering and separation from the Father for a time that He endured as He cried out, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? When I fully understand and appreciate that, I will be surrounded by love. I will not be constrained by duty or fear, but by love, because I judge thus. I was able to die to sin through him and that sacrifice. Simply because he died? No. I have to comply with the conditions that the one who died on Calvary set forth for me, and that involves confinement. I have to believe that he is the Christ. I have to repent of my sins. I have to confess him to be the Christ. I have to be buried with him in baptism for the remission of my sins, and then I have to rise to walk in newness of life. Having entered the narrow gate, I must continue to walk the difficult way, which tragically, Jesus said, few will find. But if I have been blessed to find it, then I must understand that the confinement that is involved in the yoke that Jesus described as easy is a willing, loving confinement where love surrounds me. And wouldn't that suggest why Jesus could say my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Because those who fully understand the kind of yoke that you have to bear understand that it is a yoke born lovingly and willingly and eagerly because of what Jesus did for us. I understand confinement is an ugly word in today's society to a great extent. Confinement is an ugly word in religion to a great extent. Confinement is an ugly word to some in the Lord's church today, as we have discussed in terms of seeing the innovations that are being introduced by many in the church today, because they do not want to be confined by what they view as an outdated, apparently, book of rules. They want a new hermeneutic, a new means of interpretation. They want, they want something new and different and contemporary, and confinement and contemporary do not harmonize in their mind. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. It's not the broad way where you can have your way, it's entering and following my way. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me and bear my yoke. And that brings us to the second characteristic of the yoke of Christ, and that is that it is a yoke of conformity. Not only confinement, but conformity. And Paul reminds us of that in Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2. When he writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he adds, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, don't be conformed to this world. You become conformed to the next world, to the things of the next world. Undergo a transformation process, a transformation process which brings you into conformity with the will of Christ, which brings you to the yoke of Christ, where you again willingly and lovingly conform to his will, having been transformed by it and no longer conformed to the things of this world. And making abundantly clear to everyone around you that that transformation has taken place fully and completely and that you truly are a new creation in Christ where the old things have passed away and where all things have become new because you have conformed to His will. And you continue to apply yourself to those things that bring about that Complete dedication as you feed upon the Word of God, as you grow stronger every day. Do not be conformed. Literally, the idea is stop being conformed to this world and continue being transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that continual transformation process occur? By feeding upon the Word of God. Yes, indeed, there's an initial transformation when you come into the kingdom, but you continue to grow. In the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.18. You grow stronger. You love more deeply as you feed upon those things that will encourage that kind of dedication and devotion. But you understand commitment. You understand confinement. You understand the conformity. But you know, there's something very pleasant as we look at the next characteristic of the yoke of Christ, and that is there's companionship. Two animals would have companionship, although I don't know that they would necessarily desire to be together, but they don't have much choice in a yoke, do they? <laughs> but the companionship that we share in, in the yoke of Christ is something that is totally, totally positive, should be, absolutely positive. Pleasant. The beautiful note that Ron wrote that that Wayne shared with us is a beautiful illustration of the kind of appreciation that a brother in Christ has for that very thing we're talking about. That companionship. What it means in difficult times, what it means in challenging times, what it means in good times as well as those challenging times. It's a precious, it's a precious, precious. Gift from God through Christ that He's made available only in the church. Only in the church. Only in the yoke, that is. The yoke of Christ. The writer of Hebrews describes it in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. After Hebrews chapter 11, where all of the great heroes of the faith are enumerated, there, you remember? Then we come to a therefore, taking us back to Hebrews 11 and all those great Bible characters that have been listed there. Then verse 1 of chapter 12, therefore we also, the writer says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded... For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Don't you become weary and discouraged in your souls, because look at that great cloud of witnesses. Look at what they endured. Look at the companionship, in effect that you have, look at those who have suffered and endured a great deal more than these Hebrew Christians had suffered at this time. In fact, in the very next verse, the writer will say, you have not resisted yet unto blood. You haven't been called upon to shed your blood yet. Not that you won't be, but you haven't. And look at all those who did shed their blood. Look at this great cloud of witnesses. Don't become discouraged in your soul. Don't faint. Don't become weary. Let this, let this beautiful reminder of the companionship that you have encourage you. In the same Hebrew epistle, chapter 10, verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let us be the kind of companions that God would have us be and the mutual encouragers that God desires us to be. And, of course, 1 Peter 5, 7 reminds us of our greatest companion, the Christ. As Peter writes, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Casting all your care. We've looked at that verse before. The first care is different from the second care. The first care is from the word that indicates anxiety and worry. Cast all of that upon him. Cast all that kind on him. Because he cares, and that's a different word for cares, which indicates deep concern, the idea of love and concern and compassion, and it's in the present tense which indicates he keeps on caring for you. But you know the word casting is in an aorist tense, punctiliar action, which indicates once and for all lay it, lay it upon Him, you can do that because He'll never stop caring for you. Does that mean we will never have any concerns, never shed a tear, never have any sorrow? Of course it doesn't. But what it does say is that that wrong kind of, that wrong kind of tear shedding, the anxiety, the worry, we can lay that at His feet because He'll never stop caring. We have a companion to whom we are yoked. We're yoked to the Christ. And we're the only ones who can break that yoke. He never will, as long as we do not. Oh, what a beautiful thought companionship is as we think about the yoke. No wonder then Jesus said, My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But he did not say, My burden is carefree. My burden is sorrow free. My yoke is without any disappointment in life, without any challenges, or without any what? Without any chastisement. Because that's the final characteristic at which we look today. That in the yoke of Christ, there is chastisement, there is discipline. And in that same twelfth chapter of Hebrews, beginning at verse 4, we noticed verses 1 through 3 and alluded to verse 4, but let's read verses 4 through 11. The writer says, You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And then he quotes Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. And then verse 11. The writer reminds us, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, But grievous, nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by Oh, this is a great text that we need to spend a great deal of time with and to fully understand that God does not shield us from every calamity, from every sorrow. That God does allow us to be chastened. That God chastens us, disciplines us through his word. That God says no to us at this time. That there are times consequences to Our actions, the child of God, is not forevermore shielded from every sorrow, every trial. But God wants us to know that only through Him and being yoked to His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, can we actually benefit from those trials. Benefit from being a child of the father and disciplined in his way according to his will in a way that will always be best. Earthly fathers are human and they don't always they don't always do right. They want to if they're thinking right, they want to they want to exercise discipline in the best way possible if they're right thinking fathers. And fathers do discipline if they're right thinking fathers. Dr. Spock notwithstanding, and all of that going back to the 60s when all of that began to change tragically in our nation it seems. But discipline is something we ought to expect and appreciate from our earthly fathers. Why should we not then appreciate discipline from the father of our spirits? The fathers of our bodies discipline us. Why shouldn't we expect it from the Father of our spirits? Those eternal spirits that will endure forever. And so God does not shield us and God does allow us to be disciplined. And God does bring discipline in our lives in accordance with what is truly best for us. And if our attitude is as it should be, then we will never question those adversities. But seek to use them and to trust God and to draw closer to God in those times. Revelation 3:19, Jesus said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. God is, at times, using his own people to bring about chastisement, is he not? As we've talked about many times, when the congregation acts toward a wayward individual, a sinful individual, in a way to try to bring that individual to repentance. Is that not the chastisement of the Lord through God's people as He has appointed them to do it? They're to do it in the right way. They're to do it lovingly. They're to do it the way God wants it done. But it must be done. And when it is done, that is the chastisement of the Lord in one sense, is it not? If not, why not? And so everything is not always positive in our lives. And certainly we know that if we've lived very long. But Christians, as we've often said, are the only ones who can turn adversity into blessing by accepting that adversity with the right attitude and becoming stronger through that adversity. The yoke of Christ basically can be summarized with this statement. Our labors in the Lord, our challenges in the Lord, from which we are not completely shielded as we've just pointed out, are light. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Our labors in the Lord are light because they are labors of love. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And indeed, we know that to be true because the Lord himself said it. But we can also see it as we examine these characteristics we've examined briefly this morning the greatest invitation thanks be to God is still being extended and will be until time is no more when will that be for you you do not know and I do not know we simply have no assurance of another moment of time but we do have this assurance this morning right now you can respond To the greatest invitation that has ever been or ever shall be extended to mankind by the Lord himself. And enter into willingly and lovingly a yoke that is easy and a burden that is truly light. Do you love him enough to respond by believing that he is the Christ, the son of the living God? Repenting of your sins, confessing him to be the Christ. And then being buried with him in baptism. Jesus said he who believes and is baptized will be saved. You may have loved him once enough to do that. And to take that yoke upon you. But you may have cast it off now. And gone back into a yoke of bondage. Oh not necessarily the law of Moses I don't mean. But the yoke of bondage that Satan. Now has provided and into which you have tragically entered, and now you're yoked to Satan. what a terrible situation one that you can change as you change, know to guess, and come home as a wayward child to your first love, repenting, confessing that you have sinned, and asking your brothers and sisters your Former companions in Christ. To be your companions once again in fellowship with them and with the Lord above. And that fellowship can be restored. As quickly as you'll come and say, I have sinned. Forgive me. And God will. And we'll pray with you and for you. As we stand to sing, will you come?